Welcome, everybody, to the Fly Racing Race Rex podcast with uh, Rick Ryan. That's right. I found Rick Ryan thanks to Nick McCabe. Works at MX Sports uh, uh, sometimes and a uh, vintage bike collector guy. Did a podcast with him a little while back. Uh, thanks to Nick for uh, really helping this make this thing work. Uh, appreciate that. I, he knows uh, Rick uh, well from San Jose, NorCal area. And um, so, yeah, I, I always wanted to talk to Ricky Ryan, who, of course, won the 87 Daytona Supercross as a privateer. The first and only time that's been done. And uh, great, uh, great ride by him. Always a good starter, too. Short dude. You look at back at photos from the 80s, and Rick Ryan is at the front of almost every single one of them. It's it's incredible when you really think about, of course, Donnie Holshaw Hansen. We all know about that. And Michael Lessie, and all we talk about that. And, and great starters in motocross. Rick Ryan's name doesn't always come up, and it should. The guy was gnarly. In this podcast, he talks about pulling the whole shot at Daytona from the back row. Yeah, from the back row. He also uh, doesn't know where his 87 Daytona trophy is, and that's unbelievable. I cannot believe that. The m- most prestigious race to win on the Supercross circuit, at least back then. If not now, but for sure back then it was. Anaheim 1 might be might be more, better now. but um, And he doesn't have the trophy. He doesn't know where it is. History-making feat. Doesn't know where it is. God, these guys from the 80s. They were so gnarly. Like, like I talk about Holly here, just... They didn't win. They just considered themselves garbage. Meanwhile, if you took that same guy's results in 2016, 2017, he'd be uh, making millions of dollars, or at least a million dollars a year. But uh, back then, yeah, they sucked. They were terrible. I think Burnworth was that same way when I did one with Scott Burnworth earlier, too. Like, just these guys. Man, they had no self-esteem. <laughs> they just really thought themselves, if they didn't win, they were just crap. And really, for about... Uh, Four years, really, three guys did all the winning. Rick Johnson, Jeff Ward, and Ron Lachine. That's about the only guy, three, the guys that won for three years, three or four years. So, anyways, Rick Ryan, good guy. His kid, uh, Jeremy, I don't know him. I watched him race at the Arena Cross last year. I talked to some amateur dudes, and, and, and he's pretty good. So, Jeremy Ryan, and you'll hear Ryan, Rick in here um, kind of get off a little bit talking about his son Jeremy. He's obviously very proud of him and what he's teaching him and everything else. So, um Rick Ryan could be back at the races uh, in no time if Jeremy's uh, uh, pro career ends up being anything. But um, who knows? I mean, uh, yeah, you don't know at this time of of age, this time, these days. That's what I meant to say. It's late. Give me a break. Um, Yeah, so thanks to flyracing.com for for sponsoring these podcasts. Thanks to you guys for listening. Had a great time in Glendale. I took a bunch of photos with fans and, and met a bunch of people that listened and Everyone liked it, and it's really, honestly, really super, super flattering. And I'm honored that you guys like these shows and, and you know, listen to these podcasts. And, you know, when I when I get a guy like Rick Ryan, when I find him and get a hold of him and get to talk to him and strike him off that list of, you know, pro motocrossers that I, I've never talked to, and now I got their story, I get very excited. I get very pumped. It's like a hit list of mine where I'm just trying to, you know, get you guys and myself i'm not just doing this for you guys i'm doing it for myself too because i'm such a geeky fan i get you guys these guys' story you know and rick ryan was one guy that geez never knew didn't really track down didn't know how that was going to go um you know and uh, and here's his story right here so um thanks to you guys for listening again thanks to rick ryan thanks to flyracing.com thanks to racer x online thanks to uh thanks to everybody yeah everybody oh race tech and michelin of course 
they're in the commercials that you do not fast forward through. Race Tech Suspension, Michelin Star Cross 5. All right, everybody, on to perhaps the greatest starter of all time in pro motocross. The 1987 Daytona Supercross winner, Ricky Ryan. A Pope MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show on RacerX.com. With your continued support of our sponsors, we have surpassed 1,000 podcasts delivered with over 7 million downloads. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out and donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the Fly Racing Racer X Podcast. I'm Steve Mathis. Thanks for listening, everybody. With me on the line, uh, and it's brought to you by Fly Racing, by the way, flyracing.com. Check out their carbon uh, fiber F2 helmet with MIPS, the exact same helmet. Bag it, mill saps, pike, canard, wear right out of the box, and you can wear the same helmet they do. So thanks for, uh, for listening. I appreciate it. With me on the line, a great rider in the 80s and uh, late 80s. He should have been probably a factory rider at one or two different points. Won the 1987 Daytona Supercross, the first and only privateer to win a Supercross. He's Ricky Ryan. What's up, Rick? How are you? I'm I'm great today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for doing this. Appreciate it, man. You've uh, been one been one of those guys I wanted to talk to for a long time, and I grew up not to make you feel old, but I grew up you know seeing you in the magazines and reading your results and everything else. So yeah, that was, that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, you uh, I, actually I should say too in my introduction. Maybe one of the greatest starters of all time, I think, right? I don't feel like you ever got enough credit for being such a great starter. I don't know. I got a lot of hole shots. Um, I mean, I always, I always have been a pretty good starter. Um, yeah. Always. A lot of it was there's little tricks you used to be able to use, in, which they covered all those up <laughs> uh, these days. Yeah, really, right? Like looking inside the box or watching the foot or whatever. I would watch anything that moved and just go. A lot of times the gate was still up and just pull the front wheel up and go. But um, <laughs> before there used to be little, be little windows on each side where the starter could kind of see. And if I saw his head move, I would just go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting, huh? I would, I, my eyes, my helmet would be looking down, but I'd be looking at anything that way right. that would move. Did you ever get caught and hit the gate? Um, everyone's hit the gate. Um, <laughs> it didn't happen very often because. I'd start back just enough right. to where I'd have a little momentum and, and I would be going before anyone. I don't know how much you how much you watch racing nowadays, but Michael Lessie does that sometimes. He just goes on six. He's just going. I, I, sometimes <laughs> you just know when the gate's going to go and you just go. Right. And, God, every single uh, photo from the mid to late 80s, number 20, number 12, number 24, uh, all up front all the time. It's it's remarkable. Well, I, I actually whole shot Daytona in 1984 from the second row. Back then they had so many riders, and I crashed in my heat race. I was I was second row uh-huh. all the way outside. I lined up out there because 
I knew exactly what I could do. I could see in the box from back there. And I went, I went way before. I mean, I seen, seen the guy pulling it and I went. And so how did you sneak through the, up the front row? <laughs> Scott Brumer was right on the, right on the edge. And I, I lined up my bike where, where I wouldn't hit him. Oh, okay. Nice work. Hey, you're uh, you're back in the trenches of motocross now with your son Jeremy, right? Did I get his name right, Jeremy? I should. Yeah, Jer- yeah, Jeremy Ryan. I yeah, should've... I didn't want to be wearing these shoes I'm wearing and doing this um, again, but the, <laughs> the kid really, really, really loves the sport. I've never, I've never given him good enough equipment really to win yet. I just, I'm trying to just build a good foundation for him, and mm-hmm. it's about it's it's getting to be about time that he needs to start making some results to. To keep going because, you know, he's he's uh, 14 years old, mm-hmm. um, first year on Super Mini, and last year on Super Mini, because I don't want to um, go through what I've been going through. They're, it's not a stock bike by any means, and, you know, it's a, you're running a 111cc bike through an 85 motor, and yeah. it's really hard. I mean, every 10 hours, i got to tear everything apart and rebuild it back up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got a he's a pretty good rider. I've watched him ride at the Arena Cross Finals uh, last year, and you know he's in in the world of amateur racing. He's somebody that people are like, yeah, this kid's got potential. So you're back yeah, into he re- it. He really likes he really likes the Arena Crosses. Um, he won the Dominator the the title for in that last year mm-hmm. on the Super Mini. I gave him a stock Super Mini last year, just a 100. Uh, you know, a stock one. We never had no problems with that one. Mm-hmm. I mean. You don't need that much power in arena crosses. Your straightaways are really, really short. Yeah, but unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be able to ride the finals this year because there's the way they have the schedule on the West Coast, and we have Freestone. Freestone carries a lot more weight. Yeah, right now than than winning that title. So there's no way to, to even qualify for it unless something happens somewhere. Mm-hmm. And maybe last year, Kip Bigelow was talking about letting 30 riders in and having qualifiers at the track, which would, I think it would be better for, for the whole show. All of, there could be a lot more faster riders there, but it's really hard to qualify. Because yeah. you have, I mean, we had to go ride rounds all over the place last year because we, we did a Loretta qualifier and we missed two rounds, I think in Ontario. And because we missed those two rounds, I was teasing Jeremy. You're not going to be able to qualify. There's going to be a girl in the final, and you've won, you've won three of these dominators. If we don't go to Idaho, Idaho where there's two, there's no possible way. No possible way you're going to be able in the final. There's going to be people that just show up at every round, and that's not how the sport should be. Do you like being back at the races and everything? Is that fun for you? I mean, do you get nervous as hell because it's your kid, and you know you know the dangers of motocross and everything else? Or are you enjoying this? Or are you? Are you giving them, you know, obviously your dad and your family took you around when you were a kid and, and everything else. So um, if you, if you like being back and spending the money and chasing the amateur, amateur races? I like it because he, he loves the sport so much. It's, it's just, I mean, I've never seen a kid want to ride as much as him. Okay. The only one I've ever seen that really wants to ride as much as him is Jet Reynolds. Yep. He really, I mean, those kids get together and just, they don't just ride tracks. They ride the hills. They ride all over the place. Oh, interesting. Um, not to mention any names, but I, I've I've seen them them ride with other riders they race with out in the hills, and they could not even compete with them out there. The kids got really mad, and, <laughs> and they didn't want to go back out and 
play around like that. Uh, what are you doing now for for work and and all that? What's what's going on with with you? When I stopped when I stopped racing, um, I I didn't know what exactly I wanted to do. I came back from Europe and said I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna um, keep racing. It, it didn't happen. I mean, it's like twenty twenty three years old when I came back from Europe. Is that it? That's a that's a you were that young? Yeah, I was that young. Oh wow, I mean, okay. Yeah, you just been racing forever. It seemed like you were older. Well, the races I did, the races I did, you know, locally, I would make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year from 93 to 98. Really? You know, oh, riding Okay. I was the highest paid intensity rider. I'd go everywhere to race. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I first when I first came back from Europe, mm-hmm. I flew home on a Saturday night. And there was a Golden State Series um, race the next day. I went to from the airport. My sister brought me straight to the straight to um, the shop, and I didn't bring no money with me from Europe. I left everything there. I wanted I wanted to see how hard it was to make it a normal normal life. Right. You know, just I left everything in Europe. And just came home with nothing, and we, I went and financed two bikes, and. and and then the next Monday, my stepfather helped me finance a brand new truck, and I went to the I went to the race the next day on two box stock bikes, and I got like six in the one twenty five class and second in two fifty. Mm-hmm. I, I go, you know, I need to make these bikes better. Like, <laughs> I mean, this is ridiculous. I'm getting sixth place in a second. Um, and the kid that was that won everything was kind of like teasing me when we were getting paid, and you know. That, that was the wrong thing for him to do because, <laughs> it, I mean, the next week I prepared. I put handlebars on the bike yeah, and yeah. tires. <laughs> uh, Jim Lineman, the guy that always helped me for a long time, um, he, he he knew Bud Asplin. He said, oh, this Bud can make that 125 Yamaha mm-hmm. run really well. That's who's building Jeff Emick's bike. So we brought it over there Monday morning, picked it up Saturday the next week on the way to Golden State. And I, w- I would never ride the practice days in any of the races because I had so much stuff going on. With I was working a, like seventy five hours a week um, construction with my friends at the time, mm-hmm. so I kind of I didn't practice. I didn't practice for the first couple of years ever. I would just show up at races, <laughs> and the next week I also bought a five hundred Honda, and I won every single moto, every single class the next week in the Golden State. No one's ever won all three classes and something like that before. Wow. And huh. I mean this this went on this went on for a while. I did it for quite a few years and then once I was over thirty, I would actually I would ride the plus twenty five class so, and the vet pro and I win every motor and everything. I would go up to like Washington and Idaho and ride series all over all year long. So like we weren't hearing about you at nationals and supercrosses, but you were still killing it making money and winning races. Just chasing, no, chasing. No, you know, I, I really made a mistake and and left the United States and signed a deal in Europe. And Honda finally decided to give me a contract for '88. What was too late? I already signed. This was like in November. I, I mean, the year before that, Kawasaki was going to give me a contract, and things didn't work out. I got hurt. They didn't think I was going to be ready, and I came back back to Japan. And after being off a bike for eight weeks, it was supposed to take six months to to heal. After being off a bike for eight weeks, 
Um, I went to Japan and almost won the Supercross. Me and David Bailey were battling, you know, back, that, back and forth. Was that on your Cowie? Is that yeah? So you and him got yeah, into the, you and him got into it or something, right? After the finish, we, we, or he, yeah, he he got a little upset with me. He <laughs> he he was, I mean, he was one of the best riders ever ridden with in my life, and I have a lot of respect for him. I had no problem with what, what he did. It was just his emotions. Rick Johnson started started winning everything right back then, and David was like the the best rider you've ever seen. I mean. Yeah. At the, at the time, yeah, and he he didn't know where, really where I came from. I won the first world championship Supercross before the week before I got hurt in Holland. Okay, I got some some work suspension on a Cowie, and that was like night and day better back there. Right, and back at the time, Kawasaki was supporting me, and over there they gave me the same bike that Jeff Ward had, and the same bike that that everyone had, and it was amazing. I mean, how much better it was than sure. what I was used to. I hadn't ridden in in eight weeks. I only rode one day before before I came back, and I almost won that Supercross. So what, what happened with me and David? We passed each other about four or five times. Okay, around the fifteenth lap, and we kept going back and forth. And I, David kind of left the door open, and I ran it in there, and I I hit him, and it broke the shift lever off. I, I was stuck in third gear the last. I mean, the last five laps, and uh, mm-hmm. I think I got like tenth or something like that. So after the finish, he comes up and s- says, "After uh, the finish, he wheeled his bike after me, <laughs> and I didn't even see it coming. I mean, it's kind of it was, it was, it happened. I, I would, you know, I said to him, I said to him later, after in the back area, you know, you know, we talk. I'm a, you know, I, I really." need to get back with you, but I'm not going to hold a grudge on you Yeah, yeah. And on the track. <laughs> and, you know, a little time w- went by and, you know, David got hurt and, you know, I told him in the hospital when, when I went some, I, I, you know, you're just, you were such a, you were like my idol when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I had no problems with what he did. It was, he was just a competitive person. Right. Um, let's, uh, let's get into the time machine a little bit and go further back than that. I want to cover your career a little bit on Suzuki. So are you born and raised like San Jose area? Is is that where you came from? Um, first coming up? Yeah, I, I was from Northern California. Back when I was a kid, we used to have tracks really, really amazing tracks all over the place. And I think, you know, really what's hurting the riders these days they don't have what I what I used to have. I still have a lot of that with my son. I, you know, I, I bring out tracks that have five foot deep bumps with grass on it. Yeah, all the time. I have them all over the place. That he's just amazed. Where did all these bumps come from? You wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. There's like six berms in a row. He uses them as like super cross whoops. Yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> They're all under grass all over. I'm. A, we had tracks everywhere, and now these days the the kids ride groom stuff everywhere. You know. And they come to a national their first time. They're just like, "What's going on here? This isn't what I'm used to." They smooth the tracks out all the time. Um, well, was that around San Jose growing up? Around there or more? Yeah, all, over, all over, all oh, over. Oh, okay, the place all right. There. Um, so you you become a Suzuki uh, support rider, and that's where we first start to hear you, like '83, '84, uh, again with the whole shots 125 nationals. Um, did you ever get onto like a Suzuki? Did they ever? 
I know you were never a factory guy, but were you close? Did they ever give you parts and box fans and stuff like that uh, to try to keep, you know, to try to become a, a Suzuki factory guy? How close did you get? Back in 1982, when I was 15, um, you know, I, I, we got on Suzuki's that that year. You know, we bought a couple of them. And the bike was amazing. It was so much better when I was riding the year before that, um, I mean, I went from a, I worked really hard to get there, but I went from like barely qualifying for the Golden States to getting a second down at Saddleback, which was the Southern California track mm-hmm. with everyone there. I mean, Ward, Barnett, O'Mara, yeah. Danny Chandler, like everyone there. And after the race, there was Honda, Kawasaki, Suzuki, Yamaha, everybody there. Basically, between that, when I finished the race and left there, offering deals for okay. for the whole year. Yeah, and you know, since I since I had a lot better deals with other companies than Suzuki at the time, but Suzuki did plenty at that point of time to keep me to keep me going. Yeah, and you know, their their deal was really good for for where I was. I was 15 years old. I never rode national. Uh huh. And the day I turned 16, pretty much I got my pro license and went to went to to New York, and I finished. Uh, I won my qualifier there, and I lined up between Bob Hanna and Mark Barnett. These are the guys I've been watching <laughs> in magazines my whole life. I'm yeah. like, you know, I was like starstruck, and and I actually passed Bob Hanna the last lap for seventh for seventh overall there. Um, yeah, which is crazy to think that's your first ever national. Like you're like, oh shit! You're like, wow! Yeah, it's like you're like, I'm pretty good little, at this. <laughs> I was a young kid, you know, 16 years. I didn't get tired because I rode so much. Right. I remember watching, you know, reading and about Mark Barnett using five gallons of gas every day. Yeah. And running an hour. So I tried to, you know, it made him mentally strong. I tried to do more than that. Mm-hmm. I tried to do more than I heard of everybody else doing. <laughs> Which back then is what like I mean there was no trainers there's no real science to it I mean O'Mara used to run triathlons and then show up at a race and I actually had the know. same trainers as Brad Lackey which is Dean Miller he, okay he did a really good job of when I got hurt and getting me in, in decent getting, getting shape and um you always wore Fox for a lot of the years is that because NorCal thing did you always know those guys did you know Jeff the the dad and all that um. I was friends growing up. Once we got to know him, with was Pete and Greg. Okay, um, they used to ride with us a little bit, and you know, we, I, you know, I, I didn't get gear for anything, but I earned it back then. And when my son first started riding, you know, I called Todd Hicks to see if we get some some stuff they get returned. I mean, some old stuff. Uh huh. And there, you know, he said, you know, I can't do anything like that. You have to earn earn it here, which I completely respected. Well, I have another friend in Northern California called the Brop Shop, and he he actually gave us some some Fox, actually some fly gear, a whole set for him to ride his first race. So any kid felt felt like he was really something in yeah. brand new gear because he wore um, used gear from one of, from one of our friends that he started riding with all the time. He never had anything new until he earned it. I mean, his first. His first bike was a Honda 70, and then after that, we found a Suzuki at a garage sale for $300, and that was what he was riding. You know, people kind of laughed when we went to a race, but no one rides a Suzuki in the 65 class. They all they all ride KTMs. I said, he can't ride even that bike to his potential. I don't know why you want to waste so much money. 
five thousand dollars on a bike when you could mm-hmm. you can win on that 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 three hundred dollar bike. You know, it's not all about you know giving your kids good equipment to go. You have to earn it. You have to. I think you have to deserve everything you get. Right. Is that kind of like how you were at Suzuki? I mean, I know, like you know, for example, Jim Hawley's a friend of mine, right? And I interviewed Jim a bunch of times, and I've talked to him. He got a factory ride in '86. Uh, he rode Yamahas forever. Then he got on the factory team in 86 for Yamaha. He finished number 10 overall. So you were 12, not far off. Uh, he finished number 10 overall, and he got dropped from Yamaha. And I'm like, Jim, like you did well. Ten, Number 10 is awesome. And he goes, I didn't win. I didn't win. It sounds like you're that kind of – you're from that old school. Um, I think bit. Jim – I think um, – racing with Jim, he's like running against a, a cement block. <laughs> I think, I think, uh, you know, Jim has, has always, always been fast. You know, it's exactly like you say, though, you got to win to get results. You got to win races to get, get help. I mean, if you don't win, you're, you're not worth, I mean, yeah. the next younger kid down the, down the line, maybe they could win. Right. Um, did you hang out with the bomber much in those early years in Suzuki, 83, 84? Did you hang out with the bomber? I went to to Alabama and trained with him a little bit and uh, rode with him and how we was did that? Suzuki testing. How was the... He, he, he was an ma- amazing person. It was unbelievable how hard the guy worked. Right? I, you, hear, you hear all those stories, but you're like, are, are they... Like, somebody told me they went to his farm in Alabama and there were Suzuki's leaning against trees everywhere because that's where they ran out of gas. And he would just lean against a tree and go get another bike. <laughs> yeah, back then, I mean, Suzuki gave us 14 bikes a year, and it was just barely enough to get through the year. <laughs> I was, I mean, I was really amazed when I went riding with him, though. Mm-hmm. And it's like we went hill climbing when we were doing some supercross testing. And like, how how come this guy's number one, but he he can't really hill climb or anything? <laughs> I think you know he's just ridden, ridden the track. Right. That's all I grew up in is hill climbing and just playing in the hills and right. And I also. George Holland was a really good friend of mine, and he came over riding our tracks sometime. And we went riding down to the beach, and we went down like a couple hundred wood steps with turns all around it. And after we were done riding down there, George said, well, how how are we going to get back up those steps? <laughs> I said, George, we're going to ride back up the steps. Yeah. And it was pretty funny at the time because I had to ride his bike back up the steps. He had to walk. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I mean, George was so fast of a rider, and he out in the hills he rode really good. But he's looking at me like I'm not riding up those steps. <laughs> it's a cliff on that side and steps. Yeah, I go. I'll ride your bike up. Just, just I'll I'll ride you on it if you want me to. Oh jeez, um, why'd you switch to Cowie in '85? What happened? Did Suzuki cut you? Did Cowie give you a better offer? Well, back 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 then, you know. My contract was to try to do something in the 125 class, uh-huh. and they gave me one one Suzuki 250, which I practiced on it and raced on it. And by Daytona, I rode a lot during the week, mm-hmm. and Tosh was my boss at the time. And I I told Tosh, you know, this bike's really getting too old to, to ride these kind of races. Can yeah. you give me another one? Uh-huh. He's all he's all Ricky, my son. You get a top ten at Daytona. I promise you, I'll get you a new one. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you, you'll get a new one. Uh huh. Well, so you got an eighth. I got uh, that's the one where I whole shot from okay. the second row, and I got a seventh. Mm-hmm. And back before, you know, the seventh really didn't mean that much. I mean, you got to win, but 
it was I was 17 years old. You yeah. know, you ask as a kid in the 450 class now gets a seventh <laughs> yeah, when they're 17 years old. It's like unheard of. I write I write 2,000 words on that kid. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the next week the next week comes by in Pontiac, Michigan, which you could probably see it on YouTube. Uh huh. Where I was battling with everyone in the front until my transmission broke both nights. You know, I, I think I led like nine or ten laps of the of the race both nights. I won my qualifier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, er, back then um, the track was super sticky, right? And I couldn't. You know, I put a 125 tire on on my 250, and I whole shot every single moto. I could get it spinning a little bit and get out of the start. Yeah, yeah. And nice move. You know, it, it, you know getting a start in Supercross is like key. I mean, you, you get up there and you ride your track your way, and not having to fight through fight and take bad lines to try to pass. I mean, you, you use your lines. So how did the Kawasaki thing come about? So did Suzuki get you a bike, or what happened? You said, screw you guys? No. Um, I actually went to Canada with Jim Hawley, and you know, a lot of Ross Pedersen, a lot of good riders went up there for a Supercross, and I I was the only one jumping a triple out there, and I passed Hawley to win the qualifier I passed him on the triple. He was, I was the only one jumping it that night. And in the final, I fell in the first turn with Ross Pedersen. I came all the way through the pack, and I had I was a, about 60 feet behind Jim Hawley on the last lap. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that, you know, I got this in the bag. All I got to do is get a little closer and jump past him on the triple like I did the qualifier in the last lap. Right. Well, I ended up, instead of using I was going through the whoops in third gear. I ended up clicking up a gear and just trying extra hard to make up the distance in the whoops and ended up dislocating my hip. Oh, wow. So what, I was, what, uh, I was, what city was that? Where were you? Cause I'm Canadian. So that was in Calgary on oh, Calgary. Okay. No, I'm sorry. That was Edmonton. All right. Edmonton. Right. Um, yes. Yeah, so, r- rollerball, by the way, rollerball is my childhood hero. Ricky yeah, he, he was amazing how, how big he was, and he was oh, aggressive. He was, he was aggressive. He would take your leg out. The nicest guy, <laughs> nicest guy you can meet off the track, but when he put that helmet on, be careful. <laughs> um, so, okay, so you dislocate your hip, so what happens then? I was out. I was out. I was, I was out. I missed a few nationals, and I come back for, for Red Bud, and I told, I basically told my dad, I told everyone I'm not ready yet. I need like a couple more weeks. I know how I'm riding. I'm, I mean, there's nothing I could do right now. It's too early. So I went back to Red Bud and I got like an 18th and a 19th in national. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I mean, right. wh- wh- why even waste their time to go there or do something like that? So I had a two week break after that and I came back and got two thirds in Colorado. And, you know, I was like 10 seconds behind. Yeah. O'Mara and Ward, yeah, those guys it, had some amazing battles. Yep. And then the next week, I was in the same corner at the end, end of the moto or whatever. You know, they were right there, like two seconds in front of me. So I was getting stronger through the whole year. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't even get top privateer that year. I got like, I think, fifth. My buyer got yeah, top buyer, privateer because buyer I missed three and, races. Yeah, Buyer and Whiting went back and forth, A.J. Whiting that whole year. Yeah. Yeah, but... um you know, at at the end of the year, I, w- I was back to my form, and I was so strong. But um, Suzuki decided 
to give me for the after, after that the nationals and supercross were mixed. Mm-hmm. Suzuki decided to give me. Um, I came back at 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 Oakland and won my qualifier, and that's that's the first time I ever felt asthma in my life in the final. I didn't know what it was. I mean, I couldn't breathe. Oh, I just okay. Rode rode around. I mean, it's like I felt. I couldn't breathe at all. I didn't know what the heck was going on. I went to the doctor, and they found that I was allergic to something. And the next week, Suzuki decided to give me a factory bike. And I rode it and said, well, this is a factory bike, but I don't – now I see why Mark Barnett won't ride it. This is horrible. It's like the, the stock bike's way better. I want my stock bike. Well, everyone just decided my dad and pushing me to ride this bike that I couldn't ride. And I didn't even qualify for the Supercross. It was the one where they put the airbox – down and yeah, the, you know the, yeah. Where the it was weird. I mean, it, I never felt something so bad, and it, it was the first disc brake I ever used. Like it was like it was off or on. There was no nothing in between. It was yeah. like, everything about the bike I couldn't ride. I was scared of it. Yeah, nobody you know? really liked that bike. It wasn't wasn't very good. And you know, I didn't qualify because you know I'm I'm like a, a, I was back then. I was in really good shape or anything, but if you put someone on a bike that they can't ride, you know, you're <laughs> yeah. riding against the best the best guys in the yeah. in the country. Yep. So did so, they were you getting so at, were you getting a salary from Suzuki around this time or just like expense money or and and all that kind of stuff? Or were you I think at the time they were giving us thirty thousand dollars expense money and like sixteen bikes, all the parts we needed. And I was a test rider. Oh, okay. Um, so they used you. Yeah, for, I was a yeah. test rider. They would make me ride. They would make me ride so much that I didn't even like. I didn't even. I was like eight hours a day. I didn't even like feel like I wanted to go race. They made me ride so much. Mm-hmm. And when they even had me testing on eighties back then. <laughs> really? Small. Really? <laughs> Man, I don't even know if you remember um, back in eighty-two, but. There was an accident, Duke from Oakley. Yeah, at, yeah. Bruce, at, um, Bruce Bunch. City and, yeah, Bruce Bunch and, uh, and uh, Fleming, Kyle Fleming. Yeah, everything. And Hemi and, I mean, so they had no test riders, unfortunately, and they they decided to let me test ride the 80 also. Yeah, I was making a couple hundred dollars a day, but I'm riding 80s, 250s, 125s. I mean, all the bikes they had, and it's like, Man, this is not this is not the training that I need to go to the other side and win. You're, you're like, hey guys, do you think Jeff Ward is riding KX80s on a Wednesday? Well, that's what that's what I said. So basically, I had to quit a good deal, and I I felt I felt that I could win. You know, mm-hmm. back then, I had to quit a good deal and go actually buy Kawasaki's. Oh um, really? Oh, so you just you just were you bought cowies? They didn't really give you it much. Yeah, well, I didn't find out till so late in the year that I didn't have a deal. I no. mean, they wanted me to be a test rider and not really care about the races because they had Mark Barnett and Jeff Ford. Well, yeah. I don't want to be behind these guys. I I, I don't want I mean, Barnett's going to win everything. So basically, year for later, and I didn't like that. Right, right. You're like, yeah, I don't know. I, um, I mean, I worked too hard to get where I was and be treated like, well, you're a test rider this year. Your racing is going to come on later. Yeah. I'm all, you know, I kind of, you know, I felt disrespected that that I was so fast. And I, I, I proved that I could, I could, at Pontiac, Michigan, someone looked on YouTube back in 84 at Pontiac Silverdome, I was fast enough to win. 
back then when I was 17 years old. Another year later, I'm just that much stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, it did you ever didn't happen? And that year, I couldn't ride any supercrosses because because the the bike I was on, the Kawasaki 250, um, had like some kind of clutch issues where it would just go and. <laughs> The next year they fixed all that and the bike was really good. Yeah, you have one well, super, a, you have one supercross in eighty five. You rode LA, got nineteenth. That's it. That was all you did. Weird. I think all I think all I rode I don't I think it was the Rose Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Um Jim Doyle helped me talk with Kawasaki, you know, can you give this guy a good bike? Because I got good starts. Mm-hmm. And my job there basically was to try to hole shot and get between Ward and Brock Lover. Mm-hmm. That was my job. <laughs> yeah. I think I ended up a ninth. There was a two-moto format. Yeah, I think two I got ninth the first moto and a fourth the second moto. Did you ever? You were a shorter guy. I think I was like I think I was like fifth overall at the Rose Bowl in, in 85. In 85. And that was the only one I rode all year because I couldn't do anything. You know, the, you put the biking. I had to like put the biking gear when the gate fell, and you can't do that. <laughs> last every start, you just can't it's do it. So I didn't good. do it. Did you ever? You're a shorter guy, and nowadays they cut subframes, raise the pegs, all that kind of stuff. Did you have to do that to every single bike you rode? Did you have tricks to to make you fit the bike better? Seat foams or anything like that? No. When I was nine years old, I had a piece of plywood for a seat on it. Really? On Elsinore, <laughs> but that's all. That when I rode. Back then, I didn't do anything. I rode even stock handlebars. I rode stock bikes. Wow. Didn't do anything. Crazy. Anything, the motors, um, the suspension. Um, I started feeling good suspension. Mike McAndrews started helping me with Kawasaki in, in 86. And I couldn't believe how much better the bikes got. And I think I was top privateer that year. Yeah, 86 was a good year for you. This was number 20. You had some. Su- you had a sweet uh, open face green and white helmet, Fox gear. You had a good look going on in 86, Rick. It was strong. Yeah, I actually, you know, and like in Seattle, you know, I, I was battling up there in the front. And a few of the races I was up there, but, you know, it's it's a long it's a long year to, you know, I kind of, I don't know, like that year I kind of just wanted to, to get through the year and make it to the next year. And I wanted to get enough. Doing good enough results to get a factory bike for the next year and win everything '87. Right, because well, I knew I knew how much better the factory bike was. I already learned that. Yeah, I just wanted to. I wanted to be good enough that year in Supercross to to be able to get the factory bike, which I was promised that year from Kawasaki. Um, after Axton, Axton, Virginia, mm-hmm. I had the I had the overall wrapped up wrapped up in the bag. All I had to do is finish the half a lap to go and. I had a mechanic, you know, I was pointing down the bike. It was um, something going on, and the air filter fell out. Oh, jeez. Um, and the bike didn't finish the last half a lap. I had a good lead, and it just quit. Oh, wow. It's a mechanical error. Right. Um, so you switched to Hondas. Well, actually, you know, I've done a bunch of these podcasts with George and, and Burnworth and, and these different guys, and even Bradshaw admits it. That, that was a little later on, but the Hondas were so much better. Factory bikes, production bikes, however you want to say it, Honda had the edge on all and on everybody. And if you weren't on a Honda, you had to ride harder, you know. So I, I, back then in '86, I really, really liked the Kawasaki. Did you? Yeah, I could have. I could have won. I could have won the Supercrosses, and if they gave me that factory bike in '87, I mean, I yeah. really felt that. Right. And be and because I 
the the deal fell fell uh, fell off. I decided I'm not going to race in '87. I'm I, I'm done. Really? I'm not going to I'm not going to go settle for you were done for not winning. I was done. And 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 after a month of sitting there, after a month of sitting there, um, George Matson said he would he would buy me six Hondas, whatever it took, whatever it took to show up at Gaines Gainesville. And I'm 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 only going I'm only I would only, you know, I didn't. I didn't know how the Hondas were. Yeah, I, I didn't. I I felt what I felt when I didn't get what I, what I was promised from Cal. That I, I don't want to do this. I'm you just. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go out there and get a fit no more. I work too hard. I, I'm done. I'm gonna do something else. So I trained hard. I and I was still training, not riding. I didn't ride for a month. I he said he would give me some. Do whatever it took. Well, this is what we're riding. I, I rode one of Dean Matson's Hondas and go, wow, that thing's pretty darn good. That's yeah, they were. Good. I, I didn't know. I didn't know how good it was. I said, you know, I could win on this bike. This is just that with a little work. Um, Pro Circuit, Pro Circuit decided to give me get, help me with motors and the suspension, and they decided to get on and help me. It's and crazy. It was like it's, it's, I, it it's... was amazing how good how good the bike was. I like train. I, you, I didn't even go to Christmas. Christmas anyway. I trained because I was so far. I didn't ride for a month, and I needed. Right. I knew what I needed to do to win Gainesville. You know, it, it was. You know, it was a lot of hard work to get there. You know what's crazy? I was like over. Is... Oh, I was overtrained. I knew. I knew how hard I was training. I was riding the supercrosses, but overtraining. You know, I was getting like eighths and sevenths and fifth, and you know, I was overtrained and tired, but. My goal was to win. My goal back then was to win Gainesville. And the first moto for first moto at Gainesville, my, my mechanic, my mechanic said to me, "What do you What do you think? Uh, there's no one on the line here. I don't care. I don't care who's here. You know, I've worked too hard. Mm-hmm. This bike's good. Everything's good. There's there's nothing. There's nothing here. The the first moto, um, my whole shot when I came around the first lap, I had an eight second lead. The next lap, I had like a 14-second lead, and I got it all the way, all the way up to, all the way up to a minute. I think I was lapping like sixth place on the last lap, and I took another line and actually broke my anterior cruciate ligament on the last lap oh. of of that moto. I still won. I mean, and the next moto, Honda actually decided they gave me some acupuncture and uh-huh. tried to do something between motos and. And I rode around, and got eighth. I was just—I mean, right? What, what, what more can go wrong? Race Tech people, Racetech.com. These guys have been in business for over thirty years, supplying racers, riders, and tuners with factory-level suspension to everyday racer. There's a lot of top suspension guys in the pits that got their start with Race Tech. Trust me on this. There's more than a few guys that have learned underneath Paul Feed and gone on to uh, to great things. Paul Feed, the original suspension guru. I guarantee you. And probably 82.7% of you people listening to this podcast need some sort of suspension work, whether it's uh, just a simple oil change with new bushings and seals, give your bike some love, whether it's the right spring rate for your weight and or speed, 
or maybe you just need some revalving on the machine to uh, help you uh, take first place in that Chicken Licks Raceway. Something, something uh, on your bike needs attention for Race Tech. I guarantee you. Freeze, Gilmore, some of the guys just using uh, Race Tech Privateer Proven. They work with uh, Ben LeMay also. They're back with Ben LeMay, and uh, they offer a full line of Race Tech High Performance Springs. These springs are called High Performance because they're extremely lightweight for their rates and feature the tightest tolerances in the industry. You want to save 10%? At uh, Racetech, go to Pulp MX 2015. When you order, you can save 10% at Racetech.com. And they're uh, proud sponsors of this podcast, and we thank you guys. All right, back to the show. Michelin tires are back, people. MichelinMotorcycle.com. Michelin Starcross 5, brand new, available in hard, medium, soft, and sand. Uh, their off-road tires are some of the best ones out there, and they've revamped this whole lineup. There's no one who knows these tires better than our own, Chris Kiefer. When they're calling it comfort casing technology, what are they talking about? Is this a fancy marketing term or what? No, it's actually the carcass of the tire itself, so how much it flexes or how you know sidewall stiffness that you have when you come into corners. And what's cool about this tire is even from the previous version, the MH3, it gives more. So when you hit square edge or you're coming out of a corner with some bumps, it has some give to it. It's more comfort, so it doesn't feel so rigid. A lot of that has to do with the, the CCT. So you're telling me the comfort casing at the end of the day, maybe it helps you a little bit to have some suspension in tires. Yeah, obviously it's flexing a little bit, but also, too, when you come into corners, you don't want it to roll on you. So they've got that dialed in to where you come into a corner and you still have enough stiffness where it grabs and bites, but yet straight line, you have comfort. Hey, as a former factory mechanic, Kiefer, I know all about mounting tires, um, so no problem for me to mount anything. Right. Well, maybe not a moose. Uh, you found mounting these new Michelin's uh, pretty easy, actually. Yeah, I'm a great test rider, but my mechanic skills are novice at best, so mounting the tire wasn't too bad. They sent me a bunch of tires to mount before testing, and I was out there busting in the garage, and normally you got to put some tires in the sun, let them soften up a little bit, but this... Um, the bead rolls on really nice. I didn't have to struggle. No curse words were, were sworn in the garage. So uh, it was a lot better for me, you know, putting these on. Four versions of this tire. They cover all the uses, Kiefer. Reduced weight, comfort casing technology, mounting, traction, handling. They do it all. Starcross 5, MichelinMotorcycle.com. Thank those guys. Check them out, the local dealer people. These guys know tires and they know what they're doing. You know what's crazy is you were number 12 overall combined points. And you were at the at, after the end of '86 on a Cowie, and you just couldn't get anything, just nothing. Oh. Number twelve, and just I could have got, I could have got, I could have got free bikes. I could have got, yeah, but I mean everything. But I didn't feel yeah. like a win on that, and I'm tired. I'm tired of not winning. Right. I, I feel I, you know, I proved that at Gainesville versus Moto. You know, yeah. I could have backed that Supercross that year. I really felt I could have could have raced with Rick Johnson on on equal bike. Uh, and I didn't want. I didn't want to ride. I didn't want. I didn't want to do anything but win. So I don't have what it takes to win here, sitting in front of me. So, you know, there's really no point to keep doing this. I was 20 years old. I mean, there's more to life than going around and getting fifth place. I'm tired. <laughs> you know, I, I, there's nothing. I don't have the equipment to win. Nowadays, fifth place gets you hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, Rick. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think. Maybe fifth place. I don't think the fifth place riders make as much as people think. Uh, I th- I really think, you know, first, second, third, maybe is making a decent living. But a fifth place rider, yeah, they're making two or three hundred thousand dollars a year. I mean, any other sport out there, you know, it's just. Uh, it's, I it's. I think you'd be shocked to find out what some of these guys make. 
Uh, I know, I know, some of them are making good, but the yeah. the, ha- the handful, what people say they make and what they're actually making doing their taxes is a lot well, different. No, than... You're right about that. Um, so Daytona, eighty-seven, and you you've got to be tired of talking about this race with people, but I got to ask you questions about it. It's a mutter. Keith Bowen was leading early. His bike uh, somehow with his power valve, I think, um, and uh, or, or got a rock in it. Did you know? Where you were the whole race? Like, were you aware? I, aware? Because it was muddy. Keith Bowen could have run won that race with one arm if he just slowed down a little bit. He kept falling. I mean, he was amazing okay. in that mud. <laughs> I mean, I was just riding around and keep people on past me and fall. You pass it past me. You can really only go so fast in the mud and not make mistakes. Right. I mean, the, I, I kept seeing him. There's no way you keep keep that up. And yep. you fall again. And they fall again. <laughs> I mean, I was not the fastest rider there. Yeah. I was determined to win, but, you know, I was pretty much there. I had a broken ligament. I didn't ride the whole week long. CTI, I flew there, and Jim Castillo made me knee braces. I actually bolted to my boot. Yeah, there's a photo of that in, in an MXA. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I wasn't in no shape to win that race. I was there to qualify and make enough money to get my mechanic home and then figure out what I'm going to do with my knee. Yeah. So I didn't ride a bike all after that race all the way until Hangtown. It's the first time in practice. And I, I rode around and tried to get some points. I got a couple of fists. I mean, just just riding around. You know, a fifth, a fifth, I mean, people think it's good, but it's nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not anywhere I wanted to be. Right. And it took it took, it took took a little while to get back into shape to be able to be in the front. I mean, you, you can only do so much if you can't ride. Did you uh, – so you knew you were in second and you knew Bowen was leading and you're like, hey, go ahead, and he fell, and you're like, all right, cool, I'll just – I was fine with second. Yeah, yeah, you were fine. I never got in second in Supercross. Second's good. You keep going. I, I mean, I was really good friends with Keith. He's a really, really funny guy. But... Right. Um, so you won Daytona. That must have just been an amazing feeling, just the amazing – like. And, and how much money did you win? How much did you get? You get? Did you see? I guess that's. I think it, it was like sixty-five thousand once everything was said and done. Oh, nice, uh, nice, nice, nice deal for that. Did Honda? Uh, Honda, did, Honda didn't want to pay. They took a really long time to get paid because why didn't they want to pay? Possible, it's not possible to take that out of our budget. It, it's just it's like not possible when the Supercross is a privateer. So it took a lot. <laughs> I think they had to get it out of the out of the factory. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it, it took some time. What was it? Fifty grand from Honda, or what, how much was it from Honda? Oh, I think it was ten thousand. Really? And they still couldn't figure. They couldn't find ten grand. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, did they give you any more bikes or parts or anything? Did they? Did they? Did, uh, did what do you mean? Give me? I pay. I paid for everything that year. They didn't even give me a spark plug. So Dave Arnold, none of those guys came by. Roger, none of those guys came by to to, to do anything for you. Oh, they came by and congratulated me, but. Their guy to win everything that year was Mickey Diamond. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, Mickey, no one's going to beat Mickey on that bike he had. That's pretty good. I mean, I, I was I was battling with Mickey at Southwick. You know, me and him were probably 20 seconds in front of third place. And I would come out of a turn, and that bike would just pass me like I was sitting <laughs> stopped. I couldn't believe it. And then, you know, I'd pass him going the turn, and, you know, his bike didn't get hot and slow down or anything. It just kept going. Yeah. And for us to get that much higher bike, it, it started slowing down a little bit. Well, what about if you were uh, Holland or Keo on Suzuki's and that Honda comes by? You're just like, forget it. I give up. I give up. <laughs> uh, 
Um, Rogers, Rogers always picked, you know, the riders to win. It's amazing how, how he seen Mickey was, Mickey was on a Husky back then. Yeah. Husky 500. I saw him at Ascot on his Husky a little bit before. And, you know, everyone used to ride out there. Man, Mickey was fast at Ascot, but I mean, what about all the other tracks? He's, he, Roger saw something there. I mean, he's, it's amazing. Yeah. No, absolutely. So 87 comes, and, and you have a good year national-wise. Tons of top five finishes, and, and and you win Daytona and everything else. But, but then again, but then again, what's a, what's a fifth that's going to do you nothing? I won some motos in, in the nationals. I fell in the first turn at New York and went from 40th to second. I mean, that's a national with the best out there. The second moto, uh, I did a big endo and went back to like 10th and got into first. Mm-hmm. And I got two flat tires at the at the same time, and while I was in first, I just went straight back to the pitter because I know you I can't finish with two flat tires. <laughs> yeah, I just went off the track. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My mechanic looked at me like, well, "What's going on?" <laughs> oh, I got two flat tires. <laughs> You're like I'm done. And actually, then before the first one, I asked Honda if they could give me some of those moose tubes because I'm really. You know, I'm really scared about all the rocks out there getting flat tires. Yeah. Because I got one the year before there. Right. And, you know, I, they're not available, they told me. <laughs> they had them, but they're not available to a private rider. You're like, I so won Daytona. At, 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 <laughs> at the time, I wasn't really that many points behind Mickey Diamond. I mean, if I could have won that moto, I would have been, been in there for the championship. Right. I mean, I would have changed stuff later in the year. To, to be in there. Well, I needed to make money, so I went to Europe and rode some supercrosses and got hurt before Colorado, and, you know, that kind of wasn't good. I think I finished fifth that year in the Nationals, but I got hurt and just had to deal with it. Um, so at the end of 87, just uh, no no support from Honda, no support from anybody, and you go to Europe? You got a good deal to go to Europe? I got a, I got a good deal to go to Europe. I knew it was kind of the end of the end because I, I was already done with that the year before. If so I didn't have what it took to win, I mean, I was fine. I was fine with it because I knew I gave a hundred percent effort. You know, if you do something and and you don't feel you've given it a hundred percent effort and you don't achieve what you're doing, it's a feeling where you know, it's a feeling where I give it, I give it my all, and you know, I didn't my all my all wasn't good enough to get where I needed to go or you know. There's, a, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff. I didn't want to live in L.A. really because my training was so good where I was, and mm-hmm. I think there was more to it than just going fast back then. What, uh, what country, what team was your European team based out of? What was it? Well, I didn't, I didn't fly to Europe to really ride that many world championship races. I only went there for mostly the French international races. You know, oh, okay. I again, five or six thousand dollars for just showing up to ride a race and you could ride a couple a week. Oh, nice. Um, I mean, I wasn't, I rode a few world championships that year enough, enough to stay in the, the points to where I could go to South America and Unadilla and get paid to go. And yep. actually at Unadilla that year, me and Johnson had a pretty good battle for yeah. about yep. 35 minutes. And that's like one of the first times I felt tired. I mean, <laughs> I faded back to third. I battled with them for 35 minutes, but it wasn't enough to complete. I wasn't right. I was riding 20-minute motos and 
France all year round. Right. Right. Mostly. So you would live in the U.S. You're still living in the U.S. You would just go over there for the internationals and GPS. No, I stayed in Belgium. Oh, okay. And just rode there and just I really wasn't serious about it. I mean, from from after '87, I just you know did it because yeah. you know this is this is what I've I've been trained to do. But you know, if you if you don't give 100 percent effort, I mean, what's the point? And Rick, you wore Fly Gear, but not Fly Gear now. Just a com- another company named Fly that made gear. Yeah, actually, yeah, <laughs> I had some some Fly Gear. Um, in the first race of that year, um, Eric Gabor's and all the top ten of the World Championship was at the first race of Volcare. And after after time practice, I got interviewed. Well, how come you're so slow? I'm all. What do you mean? We didn't race yet. Well, that practice you're in was timed, and you're thirty third, thirty third pick to the line. Mm-hmm. I go. No one told me it was time. I was just checking the track out. No, I wasn't told. But no one told me it was time practice. Uh-huh. They're kind of laughing with thirty third. How are you going to do anything with thirty third? Uh, and you're on a two fifty, and they're on five hundred or anything. Right. I'm all, you know, there's forty good spots in that gate. The whole shot from. Uh-huh. So how about you come talk to me after the first moto? So I, I whole shot. All three motos there. I led every single lap, and um, at the race till the last lap, I broke a sprocket with about four turns to go. Rear sprocket. I would have won all three motos. Who the hell breaks a then, sprocket? <laughs> you do. Well, I guess. I don't know what happened, uh, but it broke. Um. Yeah. Do you have any old race memento stuff? Do you have anything from your old days kicking around still? Or no, to, I didn't say that. Where, where's your Daytona though. trophy? I don't know. You don't I didn't save no? anything. I, no, I didn't. I didn't get to where I where I wanted to with with motocross. I wanted. I I, want, I worked too hard in the sport to to not win, and I didn't keep anything. I, my son didn't know I even ever rode motorcycles till he was eight years old, and I didn't tell him. Other other kids told him. You don't have That's your, your dad they... from that Supercross movie, and I denied it <laughs> for a while. I denied it. Where's your Where's your trophy from Daytona? You won the most prestigious Supercross there is. I can't believe you don't yeah, have I don't, it. Rick. I, don't, I don't. I don't have it. Did you pawn it? <laughs> what happened? No, <laughs> no, I don't know. Jeez, I would have that thing shined up every day. I'd be like, I, think yeah. I left it in one of our houses in the attic or something. I'd be like, Yep, I won Daytona. Check me out. Um, no, it doesn't mean anything unless you unless you really win it. I didn't feel. I was the fastest rider there that day. You know, I won it, but it wasn't. It wasn't like I was the fastest rider there. Right. Other riders had bad luck. Uh huh. For me to be there, I didn't want to. I didn't want to win a race just to win it. I mean, I'm not the kind of person that says, "Oh, the fast kid fell and I won." I mean, that's how it was that day. Right. I was hurt. Uh, who's your Who's your best friend in racing? Do you think? Do you have a rider that you and him? You talked about Holly a little bit, or Matson, or whatever. Who's your best buddy in racing all those years? Um, you know, there's a there's a, a lot of a lot of good guys. Jim Holly was really good. Donnie Cantlupi was really good. You know, there's um, Lachine Bowen. Uh, Rick Johnson was a really nice guy. I mean, oh, David yeah. Bailey. I mean, you can't. I can't. I can't name just one. I mean, they're they're all really good, all, really good guys all, off the track. All good dudes for you. Um, yeah. What was your best race you ever had outside of Daytona? What was the best race you ever had? Uh 
Was I would it, say the first moto at Gainesville. That moto, I, mean, yeah. I, I was out there to prove a point that, mm-hmm. that you know I was I worked so hard it's unbelievable to get there. Right, and I achieved uh, when I when I saw fifty seven seconds or a minute on the on the pit board. Mm-hmm. You know that was enough. I could quit right now. I proved I could do this. Really? That was huh? enough. Yeah. That was enough. That was enough for me in this sport. You know, it. it, it I I know. I wasn't just talking that I could win. You know, I, I, I proved it that motor. I mean, how, how can you win by a minute and not have the support to, to do the whole deal? Right. Yeah, times are different back then, man, for sure. Times were way different. Um, I've talked to so many of old motocrossers that did really well and got good results and made no money, got no help, and just, just and you're just like, wow, like, you guys are awesome. Like, you know, it was great. You were a great rider to do all those results yeah. you had. But back, just, yeah. back then, for '87, you know, I was really good friends with the Foxes. We and Jeff came to me. You know, I, I'm paying Rick Johnson too much. I don't really have you in our budget, but I worked something out to be able to keep you in the family. And you know, yeah, you got to win. You got to win races to to keep everything. And Rick Johnson was winning, and I mm-hmm. I completely understand. So I went to his house, and he had. Um, Yoko there at his house and we yeah. decided I'm going to wear Yoko pants and Fox gloves and Fox shirt and both both companies could pay me so I asked for double bonuses for Daytona and no one had no problem all the sponsors no one had no problem for that race because it meant so much to everyone that's yeah. how the price got up so all my sponsors I asked for double double at Daytona and somehow it just worked out, all worked out for that nice good work on that you had a premonition that it would be it would be muddy and you'd take the win one day. Um, oh, I had no idea of that. But no, I know. When I was a kid, when I was a little kid, I dreamed that I'd win that race one day, and it happened. Um, what was your favorite track? What, did you have a favorite national track or a favorite track you ever you you loved racing on? I really like Southwick because it's a lot like I used to practice rough, and I mean, yep. I really like the bumps. Yeah, you had a lot of good finishes at the Wick, third, seconds, yeah. Lots of good seconds, or lots of good finishes, I should say, at, at Southwick. So, I was wondering if you if that's what you were going to say. Weird how uh, a NorCal guy, but there must be sand up where you where you grew up, right? Yeah, I don't know if anybody looks on Instagram, but my son's Jeremy Ten Ryan. If you look on that, all his tracks have bumps. I mean, they're yeah. they're all like a, they're all sandy. I mean, they're all sandy, and we got well, we got everything. That hard dirt, hills, red dirt. But oh. in the winter time, when it rains, we're out in the sand. Yeah, sure. Why and not? my son, my son doesn't care if it's pouring down rain. He wants to ride. He wants to go ride in the mud. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's just how how am I going to be where, where I want to be if I can't ride mud? Yeah. So at Loretta this year, you know, I really found out where he where he where he is in the mud. I mean, he's like one of the best. I mean, I couldn't believe how fast he was in the mud compared to the East Coast guys, but. He fell the first lap and was basically almost getting a lap because he's he came back and said, "Yeah, there was a kid in front of me. And I it's stuck in a rut, and there's no way out of it till he got out of my way." <laughs> I mean, you came around in 39th place, first lap, and I was thinking, "Oh, maybe he get top 20." I right, mean, right. it's like he's like almost getting a lap. I mean, 20th is half a lap ahead of him or three quarters of a lap. And he worked all the way up to 10th. I just couldn't believe he had. Like fastest lap time, a couple of laps, and going through how much mud was on him. I, I just couldn't believe the way he was riding that mud. I mean, I, I said to him, "He's like, yeah, Dad, you know, this is the days that I want to go ride in the mud when you kind of 
discourage me. This is it's paying off. <laughs> You're like, all I mean, right. He, he, he's got a plan. He's got his plan, but he wants where he wants to go. And, you know, seriously, there for some time, I tried to discourage him because I didn't want to be wearing these shoes that I have on right. to do what it takes to get in there. But, you know, one of these days I got to wake up. The kid's got a lot of talent. Yeah. Before too long, you'll be negotiating contracts with Roger DeCosta again. Rick, with for your kid, I mean, I mean, he can, he can really, he can really ride a dirt bike. I, I went up this hill on a 450 the other day, you know, starting from the bottom. And I said, man, I can't believe the power of that 450. Yeah. How it just pulls me up it. Right. And then the next time we went there, he decided he's to go through the river and get a little, a little bit of a run, about 10 feet more, and he went up that hill, and I just, I just couldn't believe it. Nice. I, mean, oh. I tried to go up on a super mini, and the bike ended up, it was so sticky and steep. I mean, it's almost straight up. The bike landed on me two times coming down the hill when I when I tried to stop and turn and turn around. I'm like, boy, what a dumb amateur mistake that was. <laughs> well, the hill was so sticky, and my foot slipped. I was just wearing some van shoes. My foot slipped off the foot peg, and it was all over. Jeez. Um, well, thanks uh, thanks for doing this, Rick. I really appreciate it. Good luck with uh, Jeremy and the racing and everything else. He sounds like, like I said, from people I talk to, he's got a good future. He's got some speed like his old man. And uh, yeah, Can I thank a couple of the sponsors yeah. we have that's helping us get there? Of course. Mike and Bubba's at Bubba's Low Bed, King Grading, Fox, Mika Metals, uh, Bud Racing, um, X-Brand Goggles, I mean, I wish everyone would buy X-Brand Goggles because Rich is one of the guys I used to race with. He's not just a, a a company out there. He's actually a rider. Yeah, I know Rich well. I, I did some work for X-Brand Goggles for a few years, so I know Rich yeah, well. He's, he's, into, he's into the industry. He's into it with the sun racing. He's, he, he really, really, you know, is trying hard. And Grand Prix um, in Santa Clara has really helped us a lot. Um it's just you know it's it's hard to do this sport and all the backing we've had from from Mike and Bubba Bubba's Loba. I mean we couldn't do it without him. Awesome, no, that's great. Um, good to hear. I, I actually told I actually told him, you know, I I make a point, you know, where the end's going to be, and, and I actually told him, you know, last week, if we, I'm giving this kid what you know what he needs to get where he needs to go, and I I said you know I'm not sure if I'm going to do this next year. He needs to get his own support. You know, this year, so yeah. we, you know, I'm hardly working. I'm just working hard with him to get him where he needs to be. Right? Because he's got to win. He's got to win to get where we need to go. Yeah, yeah. You know? right. And I've told him that. You know, yesterday you come home with a, you come home with a scholarship. You know, in school, I mean, you you're on the honor roll, and you're you're pretty much the only kid we're racing with that's in school full time. We don't ride as many big races as we should. Yeah. Um. Because you know, it's you know the school's number one, yeah. and we went to, we went to the Monster Cup, and I decided you know halfway through practice that we're not going to race because we just got on these super meets a couple of weeks ago and we're not prepared mm-hmm. to win this. There's a New York Circus show here, so me and me and my son went out to dinner and came and watched the race, and you know he's a little upset with me. Yeah, so I go, <laughs> you, you know, you're not pre- you're not what we brought here isn't isn't. It's not where it needs to be to win this. I came unprepared with you. This is a three-year-old super mini, and I didn't know we're gonna have so much problems with these bikes. It, right, right. You know, yeah, it's dangerous it's a, for sure. Yeah. Every 
CW Racing, you know, has really worked hard to make us a reliable bike, and everything's going together now. Right. Oh, good. Good to hear, man. Well, um, thank you for doing this. Flyracing.com, Fly Racing uh, official gear of this podcast. And uh, thanks for doing this, Rick Ryan. Great career. Uh, Daytona winner. Can't believe you don't have the trophy. Got to find that for you somehow. Um, thanks for doing this. Thanks for your time, man. Good luck with everything. I'm sure I'll run into you down the road. Thanks, and you have a good day. All right. Thanks, Rick. Bye. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. I was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck is that he never said sorry. Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and McGill was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, like beating a dead horse I mean, you know and i know from personal experience did anybody ever sit me down of course they did everybody did pro circuits mitch payton there's two ways to make the money one is you can sign for money or two you can earn the money i'm a high believer in earning the money i think they ride better when they earn the money seven time jeremy mcgrath i was so mad like so disappointed and so frustrated that i pulled pitch and i left every point counts I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny Omar. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. As the days and the months and the years.